0: Father, we thank you that you love us, that you've shown yourself to us. I thank you, Father God, for your word, and I thank you for creation. I thank you that you have the power to transform us into the image of your Son. And I ask, Father God, that as we come to your word this morning, that these words would be powerful and of you and, and not of me. I ask, Father God, that you would transform us, rearrange our thinking, and strengthen us according to your word. I ask as we send our children downstairs that they would celebrate and learn and be filled with the truth of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father God, for the adults and the helpers that will be downstairs. And I thank you, Father God, that you will draw our little ones to you. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may be excused. Is she a child? (laughs) We're returning this morning to uh, Summer Psalms, our series in the Book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalms 19 today. It's a very special psalm to me. I, I've enjoyed this psalm immensely in my life. Psalms are very important for us. They can become prayers. We can change them into prayers. They, they give us guidance. There's so many things that we benefit in the book of Psalms. This particular psalm helps us to understand revelation. So this, there, there's some real good theology in this and there's some other just practical teaching in in this psalm this morning because things exist and are complex and highly designed there must be an intelligent source for all the wonders of the natural world there has to be something greater than ourselves there has to be a source a creator and we know as believers that the creator is god the sovereign ruler over all of creation Now, we also understand that God is spirit and he dwells in the supernatural world. And the only way that we can know God then as natural creatures, physical creatures, is if if he invades our physical world, if he enters our world and reveals himself to us. It's obvious that we benefit greatly from knowing God. But we can only know God to the extent that he reveals himself to us. In his his majesty and in his sovereignty, he created human beings. He created you and I as personal beings. And in that, he he created us with the ability to communicate. We communicate with one another. And somebody once, I was preaching some of this, and somebody said, yeah, well dogs communicate with one another. And, and last time I checked, I don't know of any dogs that are writing poetry. So, so there's a uniqueness to the communication that God created us to have. We are also created in his image. The animals aren't created in his image. Angels aren't created in the image. We are. And in that, that creation, so we're like him in a certain sense It also is obvious then that if God wants to, He can communicate to us, but He's going to do it in certain ways. There's two, theologically. And Psalms 19 illustrates these two ways that God reveals Himself to us. The two are general revelation and special revelation. We're going to begin with general revelation. Now, now this psalm is very often... Looked at, not very often, but there are some who who will say this is two Psalms. Because it has very obviously two sections. It is only one Psalm because it deals with this idea of revelation. The two sections are general and special. which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In Psalms 19, David begins by focusing on the heavens, looking up to see the the glory of God. But it's not just just the heavens, those things that are above us, that declare the glory of God. All of creation speaks of God's glory. Everything that's created speaks of Him. In that passage, pours out speech is from a Hebrew word that means to gush, to gushing, it's gushing or spewing out. I like spewing out. The heavens spew out the message of God's marvelous creative power. And they do that continuously, day and night. The creation around us spews out the message of how great God is. This message is, is about God. It's it's a communication through all creation, and it's not a communication with words. It's, it's a form of nonverbal communication. He communicates with the, the splendor of light and, and color and planets and stars, motion and design, beauty and complexity and, and vastness. He declares his message day and night, proclaiming to anyone who will listen... That he exists. He is glorious and he is majestic if people stop and notice. The magnificent glory of the message also calls people to stop, to, to look, to listen, and to understand that he is the creator. He is speaking to all people about himself. When we talk about creation and, and this, this idea of God being glorified in it, he's not proclaiming a message just about nature. We're, we're not just gonna be nature lovers. I enjoy creation. I like being out in the woods. But his message in creation is not a message for us to fall in love with nature. That's not what he's wanting. That's not why he created and and was so marvelous in the creation. The message is that God exists, that God is real, that God is magnificent. The splendor of nature is speaking about God, about his glory. David builds upon this idea with, with an incredible statement for the time about the sun. He's he's using something very obvious. In verse 5, he begins by using the imagery from Jewish marriage. So he starts by using something that was very familiar to the people he he was communicating to. The bridegroom coming out. Dressed all fancy and, and, and ready and, and glowing and all, all of those things of, of marriage. The bridegroom is going to go take his bride. And if you remember in Jewish marriage, in a wedding, a Jewish wedding, the groom was the focus of attention, not the bride. I didn't spend the thousands of dollars on the, the bride's dress. They spent it on the groom's suit of clothing. David also describes this in a way that was obvious. David understood the sun to come up in the morning and go down at night. We speak in those terms even now. There was a course that the sun took every day. And as the sun made its passage on that course, nothing could escape the sun's heat. We can relate to that. Now, to the ancient people, it appeared that the sun then circled the earth. It, 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 the earth seemed to be stationary. We, we don't... No, nobody believes that now. Do I mean, we'll talk later, but, it, you know. <laughs> we now know... Because we have advanced so much in our science and our wisdom. We know that there is even more to the course of the sun. And it relates some to what David says. We know that the earth orbits the sun. We also know that the sun is in an orbit of itself. It's traveling through space. And it's just traveling through space that they estimate a half a million miles an hour. There are, are many more discoveries that we, we now understand about about space and in and our solar system and, and the universe. Millions and millions of galaxies, countless stars, some of them larger, some of them smaller than our sun. And the other thing is that everything's moving. And it's not just randomly moving. There's a coordinated movement of everything that's going on. These things speak of complexity and design of enormous size. God's creation speaks in this massive vastness, but it also speaks even in the smallest of detail. Smallest details of design. With powerful microscopes, we now know of complex, intricate machines. I mean, they really act like machines within cells. You can see these things now with, with these microscopes. Very complex. We know the, the complexity and, and the meaning of, of DNA. We're still learning. We know the chemistry found in all living things interact and causes complex, intricate designs to function. We know God has created elaborate meticulously detailed and interdependent structures in the wonderful world of plants and animals. We know these in detail. For example, this is, this is one I, I really like. Um, one of the animals that's always intrigued me is the, the giraffe. Not because it's tall. <laughs> but it is, right? Think about what has to go on in the life of a giraffe, so an adult giraffe, you've got like six foot legs, and, and this heart, um, I believe it, it weighs like 25 pounds, but that heart continually pumps blood in this animal eight feet into the air. That, that alone just, it just boggles the mind. How is it able to do that? It's just constantly working against gravity to lift blood that far. Well, at the same time, you've got those six-foot legs, so they're below the heart. So what keeps the blood pressure from just blowing their shins out? God has specifically made detailed parts in, the, in that giraffe to keep them working. The, the legs in, in a giraffe have, have special structure. I, I think of them as uh, like the, the massive animal version of compression socks. <laughs> they, they, you know, I'm looking at Dean because he's going, what? they keep the blood vessels from exploding. I mean, there's that, there's that much pressure. You've got a lot of blood pressure that you have to deal with. God dealt with that. Have any of you seen the pictures then of a giraffe drinking water? You know, those crazy legs and it looks like, man, that shouldn't even work. And they get the legs all splayed out like that and then the head goes down and the body's way up here and the head's down here. So what, what happens when they're drinking water to keep the brain from exploding? I mean, an instant headache and boom. What, what in the world? Well, we, we know that there are specially designed valves in the neck of a giraffe that keep the blood in control. It keeps it from flowing the wrong direction. That's Design. Those legs, that's design. That heart, that's design. Some Something with some intelligence did that. That's God. There are countless examples of complex design that speak loudly of the glory of a creator. A designer. A, a creator and a designer with infinite wisdom and knowledge and ability. It's all around us. And that creation just spews this message of God's glory. So in these first six verses, David is telling us that God is revealed in what He's created. Paul also speaks of this in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. He says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." All of creation reveals God's intelligence, power, beauty, and organization. And in Romans 1.20, Paul tells us that because God's power and nature are clearly perceived, it's all around us, all humans have no excuse in denying who God is. If you look at creation, if a human being looks at creation, there is no excuse for them to say, God doesn't exist. And in His existence, He is sovereign. He's the Creator. Paul also teaches in this passage in Romans that God's creation demonstrates God's purity and righteousness the greatness and perfection of god is is known through creation but we can only know enough about god to understand that we're not the same as god if we recognize god in the magnificence of his creation we realize that he's god and we're not he's massive and we're rather we're rather small We're separated from His majesty. And in this sense, we're separated from Him so we have no relationship. So in another sense, when we see creation around us and we understand that it's glorifying God, it's also telling us we don't measure up. We're condemned. There's got to be something more. Creation communicates God exists and, and we're condemned in our sin and, and we have a need for salvation. Something has to be there to allow us have a, to have a relationship with God. To find salvation and have that relationship with the Creator requires a different form of revelation. A revelation of God's plan of redemption. And this is the second kind of revelation. Revelation. Special revelation. Special revelation theologically typically has two parts, the Word of God and Jesus. Those are the two basics of special revelation, but you can't separate the two. So let's go back to Psalm 19 and and start to look at the second, the the special revelation. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Fabulous. So we have in this psalm two kinds of special revelation. The special revelation... Includes Jesus. But you can't get to Jesus without being in Scripture. That's the principal way that we understand. The principal way that God speaks to us about anything. The principal way is in Scripture. So if we're going to know Jesus, we're going to have to know Scripture. So in this next part, David is telling us of our need to know the Bible. In this passage, he uses six titles For Scripture, some of them are obvious, and and there's a couple that you kind of go, "What? what? So here's the six. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, and judgments. Along with the six titles for Scripture, he uses the Lord six times as well. Now, here, here's a little Bible lesson, and maybe you've been here, and if this is a repeat, you can snore for a minute, but if not, this is, this is important. I get asked this question a lot, because in Psalm 19, in, in most Bibles, usually you're going to find Lord in all capitals, but in your Bible, you also see Lord spelled two other ways, capital L, small letters, or all lowercase. In the Old Testament when you find Lord all caps it means Yahweh God's proper name. It is the spoken name that he revealed to Moses in Exodus 6:2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am." That's that's his name, the Lord. So all caps means that. This is the name that God will use speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42:8, "I am the Lord." That is my name, my glory. I give it to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So capital Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh, that's God's name. Now, when Lord occurs using only the capital L, in lowercase o-r-d, it is usually trans, uh, translation of Adonai, a name of God that emphasizes his Lordship. His Lordship. So there's a difference. There's a different name being involved. There's a different purpose for the two the two spellings. But in your Bible you'll find a third. And that's when Lord is all lowercase. And when it's all lowercase, it simply means Lord or Master. And that could even be a human. A slave would say. I talk to my Lord, or I talk to my master. And, and so that is one who has an authority over another. It doesn't mean anything more than that. So as you go through the scriptures, you're going to find three different ways that Lord is spelled, and that's why. So in, in this, in, in Psalms 19, Lord is always, all caps, Yahweh, the, so so what David is, is doing is he's emphasizing that Scripture comes from God. It is his words. These are the words of the Creator. This is God's speech. His very words. This is what Paul is getting at in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's God's words. It's, the, the Bible is God's book. It's God's absolutes for all human conduct. It's God's words. So David even speaks of it being perfect. Perfect. Perfect in Hebrew means complete. In that completeness, then, what it means is that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. That's what you find in the Bible. Now, there are some, in my experience, teaching that have a problem with that. And one of the best examples is I was teaching this to some high school kids back in the day when we had hard drives, you know, with the spinning disks, right? Right? Not that any of us ever had a hard drive crash. Wasn't that an experience, you know? woo My hard drive crashed. So I was teaching this about the Bible having everything necessary for us in life. And this young man goes, So, Pastor, does that mean that he will, he will show me what I need to do to recover my hard drive? Yikes. I have no, no passage for that. So what, is, what does God mean? What, what does it mean that everything is necessary? Well, well, Really, when we take that apart, what it means is that when the hard, cr- hard drive crashes, God has given you everything that you need to get through that. He gives you all of the strength you need. He gives you everything you need to get beyond that, to get through that, to solve that. Not necessarily reconstruct it, but He's with you. There's another sense that's even more important. Let's get some help from Peter. 1 Peter 1.23 Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The bigger issue is that when we have Scripture and we understand the Bible being necessary for it, it's necessary because that's what gives us eternal life. That's what transforms us from a pagan into a believer. It's what saves us from hell and gives us eternity. It's the Word of God. The result of the completeness is the restoration of the soul. The Bible can totally transform any person. One of the stories that came to mind as I was working on this was a man I knew years ago. His name is Gary. And and Gary was a dealer in drugs and a cocaine addict. And through a variety of different things that, that God did in his life, he came to Christ. And, and to hear his testimony, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, on Monday, he's selling drugs and he's doing cocaine. He's an addict. And on Wednesday, he no longer is addicted to cocaine. There was no DTs, there was no... Trans, there, it, wow! God delivered him from a cocaine addiction. He's, he's a marvelous man of God. He, he used to teach our kids Sunday school. He's an amazing guy. Well, what made that change? What, what Where did the transformation come? The transformation came from the Bible. He was given the truth. He was exposed to the special revelation of who God is, and he accepted that special revelation. The Bible can totally transform Anyone. Now, let's go back. Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Simple. What does simple mean? In in the Hebrew there, simple means an open door, literally. And, And the way it was used, it was to mean a person who is naive or or lacking in discernment. People who do not know when to shut or open the door of their mind. They don't know what to reject as false or what to accept as true. Those are simple people. Scripture changes that. Scripture changes this simple person by making a person wise. The wisdom of God. Wise there means skilled at living. It means wise in conduct and behavior. So there's a change. A simple person is no longer simple. They don't know what's going on to a person that's wise. What's the wisdom? The wisdom of God. It's something that God has revealed to them in His Word. Let's go on. Verse 8. Precepts. Precept means doctrines or principles or, or, or guidelines. And David says these are right. They're right. Well, they're not just right as opposed to being wrong. That's, that's true. But they're righteous. They're set apart. They're they're righteous, and and they set a person on a correct or right path. Psalms 119 proclaims it this way. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. The benefit in verse 8 then of, of having this light and having this path is rejoicing. And as we've seen so often lately in in the messages that we've had, true joy, being blessed, comes from God's living word and God's presence in our life. Also in in verse 8, David says the commandment of the Lord. He uses a commandment. And and the commandment is pure. You see, what he's getting at is the, the Bible is is not optional. It's not just a collection of optional insights. Scripture's not just a grouping of suggestions from from God. What God has given us is actually spoken of as commandments. There that would be, mean requirements. And David links these requirements, these commandments to purity, they're, they're pure. That means they're clear. They're, they're not confusing to understand. It's not like our tax code. <laughs> God's commandments are understandable. Now, we sometimes complicate this because we're sinners. So we very often get sideways with God's commandments, not because they're hard to understand, but because we want to twist them so that we can get away with our stuff. His commandments are clear. Let's go on. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This this title of Scripture is, is maybe a little confusing to some. Fear? How, how can that be a title of Scripture? But you, you can get a, a sense of this if you understand that especially... In, in the workings of the Hebrew word there, fear is a word for honor or worship. So the Bible is God's manual on worship. It's, it shows us and tells us and explains to us how and who we worship. And it's clean. Why is it clean? It means without corruption or error. So we've got the truth. We've got the real thing. We can worship in, in a sense of purity. God's words are pure. They're holy and they're eternal. He, David says they, 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 are, they endure forever. They're eternal. This stuff isn't going to change next week. Also at the end of verse 9, he says his words, his judgments are completely righteous. Everything that God says, every judgment made in Scripture, is completely righteous. Scripture is complete. It's it's everything necessary to restore restore the soul. And bring that soul to righteousness. Now, as David goes through this psalm, he then you know, so he's presented all this marvelous information, this, this great and glorious statement about how God has revealed himself to us. And then in verse 10, he begins the last section, which is, is really our, our response. David describes our response in terms of valuable possessions. First, is he, he says, more, more desirable than gold. Yea, then much fine gold. Everybody in here would desire to have, you know, I don't know, 10 pounds of gold. Okay, 5 pounds of gold. How much gold would it take to make you happy? None. None. Okay, very good. Gold is valuable. But he says, yes, then much fine gold. So God's word is, is more valuable than one of the most valuable things that we have. Nothing is as valuable as God's word. David goes on and he says that his word is sweeter than honey. Honey was considered to be the most delectable of all foods. And it was precious and valuable and and I've read some places that, that there is some sense that honey may have actually been traded like a, like a commodity, like, like a precious metal. Very valuable. Very desirable. And, and honey tastes good. I like honey. As David can, goes on, he, he includes a reward that is linked to how we respond to God's Word, and to creation. And that is that Scripture, and this is a reward, but track with me here, Scripture warns us of the dangers of sin and teaches us what to avoid and what will steal our joy. So the reward is, we know what works, and we know what doesn't work. What to avoid and what to pursue. That's a reward. That's that's a blessing. Then as David comes to the end of this psalm, he offers, really, in my opinion, this is a prayer. So he's gone through the revelation. He's gone through general revelation. He's gone through special revelation. And then he he pours out his heart, and there's a prayer. So so think of this as, as a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's calling out to God. He's praying that God would do something with his speech, that his speech would be filled with Scripture, that he would be filled with God's thoughts and and consistent with what God has communicated to us about life. That we would, we would understand. That's part of the meditation. General revelation and special revelation. God wants us to understand. The prayer is, is really then, if we make it for ourselves, the prayer is that our ideas, words, actions, all about us, would be based on what God has revealed to us, about his nature, and about his truth. And the prayer also is that his word would continually be on our lips. Do we continually look for God? You know, the reality is for all of us, every person struggles with all sorts of problems as they go through life. All of us. And anybody in the room who goes, no, Pastor, I really don't struggle. You sinner. We all struggle. Life life is filled with problems, and and sometimes the problems in life just don't seem to make any sense at all. At least they don't to me. I, I think through some of the issues and some of the things that have happened, and I just go, what? That doesn't make any sense. Life can be incredibly difficult, but the priority of the believer is to be consumed, consumed with, with God's special revelation and His general revelation. But if we know that special revelation, it doesn't matter as much when life doesn't make sense, because life in him does make sense. Scripture is special revelation. So is Jesus. But what we know about Jesus is mostly from, from Scripture. If we're going to have a really working relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, we're going to have to have a working relationship with the Word of God, Old Testament and New. Our knowledge of Jesus comes from what God has revealed. Yes, he's revealed himself in Jesus, but he's revealed Jesus to us in the Word as well. Oh, that we would be filled with overflowing with his revelation. To know God is to know Scripture. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in these two, glorious ways you have revealed yourself to us. I thank you, Father God, that we can see around us everywhere we look what you have created and and how glorious you are because of the design and intricacy and extravagance that you have created with. And thank you, Father God, that you've taken us beyond that to the the revelation of your very words that show us how to live and and teach us right from wrong and and help us to, to know how to have a relationship with you so that we have eternity with you, that you change us and transform us in our wickedness. I thank you, Father God, that your revelation is so great and so glorious. And I ask, Father God, that the words of our mouth would be ready and and willing and and just almost consuming us to be able to, to proclaim the glory of you, the glory of your greatness. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Help us to never grow tired of finding more and more about your glory, your sovereignty, and your greatness. Thank you, Father God, for showing yourself to us. In Christ's name, amen.